Today I'll be chatting with Dr. Pamela Ferguson about plant-based diets. Dr. Ferguson is a nutrition scientist and a dietitian. She shares practical advice on which nutrients to watch out for and how to get them from plants. I think you'll find that her perspectives on nutrition are refreshingly sensible in this polarizing emotional space. Dr. Ferguson is trained both as a registered dietitian and as a nutrition scientist. She obtained her PhD in international nutrition from the University of Liverpool and has lectured in nutrition at Ryerson University here in Canada and in the UK. She's also worked as a dietitian around the world for organizations such as UNICEF and the World Food Programme. She now runs a private practice in British Columbia. Dr. Ferguson chooses a plant-based diet for herself and her children and loves helping others to learn how to do the same in a delicious, healthy, and practical way. I highly recommend her tasty recipes, her thoughtful blog, and her compassionate services as a registered dietitian. Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. Dr. Pamela Ferguson, thank you so much for being here. I feel like you're the perfect guest to talk about um, the nutritional needs of a plant-based diet and how to meet them. Uh, you have both the science background and the personal experience as a dietitian coaching people through this process. So I'm really excited to be able to share this with more people. Wonderful. Well, I'm just thrilled to be here today. Thank you. Let's maybe start with um, kind of why is this such a controversial question? It seems to me the science should be able to answer in a very clear way whether or not you can meet your nutritional needs on a plant-based diet, because there certainly are people who are actually unsure whether that's possible. So could, can you just address that concern maybe and where that might be coming from? Well, it's absolutely possible to meet your uh, nutritional needs on a plant-based diet. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, however, I think some of the controversy comes from um, stories in the media where we see people who maybe have not uh, been eating many whole foods and run into problems of deficiencies. Um, maybe this happens more often with children than adults. Um, and so I think that's where the concern comes from. Also, perhaps there are some big special interest lobby groups who are interested in discrediting the idea of a plant-based diet being a healthy alternative. Dairy, uh, beef, uh, pork, these boards, marketing boards are interested in discrediting the idea of a plant-based diet. So I think there are <clears throat> some powerful forces that um, are working against us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what I want to do is just get into it and maybe to look at um, what are the nutrients, because you say it is possible to be deficient on a plant-based diet. So what are the ones that are sort of the greatest risk of deficiency? Or, uh, do you, I mean, I tend to think about nutrients in two categories, those that you don't really need to think about, they're no-brainers, and those that you might need to actually go out of your way to make sure you get. Is that a, a fair way to think about it? Or, and, and what would you do I think with it those is. two buckets? I also think it's very important to acknowledge that it's possible to become deficient on any diet. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when you start specializing your diet in some kind of way. 
Um, now, I'll be clear that uh, people who eat a vegan diet are, they call themselves vegan. They are motivated by ethical reasons and it's a lifestyle and commitment that goes far beyond just diet. But whether if you're eating a plant-based diet or if you're eating a paleo diet or a keto diet, um, any specialized diet like that is going to likely make it a little bit more difficult to meet certain groups of nutrients. And those nutrients will change depending on where you're putting your emphasis. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true of a plant-based diet as well. Um, but even someone who eats an unrestricted diet, uh, there are some nutrients that are harder to achieve than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I remember seeing some sort of observational study comparing different diets and, you know, those that were omnivorous tended to be lower in fiber or a lot of people were more mm -hmm. deficient for that. Whereas those that were on the plant-based diet were more or less, were more likely to have lower zinc or there's some, you know, it's, it's right. sort of, there are different strengths and weaknesses of, of every sort of generic diet, I suppose. So I want to emphasize, first of all, that um, I'm going to be encouraging that people are following a mostly whole foods, plant-based diet. Um, we are increasingly finding um, more and more vegan convenience products available at the supermarket, uh, highly processed foods that are delicious and tasty and um, are very similar to their uh, animal product containing analogs. However, they are not as <clears throat> nutritionally dense as um, the whole foods uh, on a plant-based diet. So I would encourage, first of all, that people are choosing a mostly whole food and varied plant-based diet. And that means eating from the four vegan food groups, uh, which includes um, starchy grains um, and beans, lentils, and soy, uh, the high protein foods, and we can put um, meat alternatives in that group as well. And then also fruits and vegetables, and then um, nuts and seeds. So if you are eating a variety of all of those uh, different food groups, a, different, a variety of foods from each of those different food groups each day, then you will have a very good chance of meeting all of your nutrient requirements. There are, of course, a few specific nutrients that um, are a little bit harder to uh, meet your goals, or maybe it's better to say that you do have to be a little bit more mindful. Uh, you mentioned fiber, and certainly on a plant-based diet, as fiber is only found in plants, and it's found in uh, all plants, uh, if you are eating mostly whole foods, you will generally find that you are eating a lot of fiber every day. Um, and in North America, we are very fiber deficient and this leads to a lot of risk of disease. Um, only around 5% of Canadians and Americans meet our fiber requirements. Mm -hmm. So on a plant-based diet, you're much more likely to do so. And that's one of the most important keys to health. Um, I'll talk about protein for a moment. Protein is one I think that is famous. I think every person who follows a plant-based diet has heard at one time or another, where do you get your protein? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I hope that most of our listeners will know that protein is actually easy to get on a plant-based diet. Um, it's well distributed across those plant-based food groups that I mentioned before. In fact, protein can be found in all of those groups, but we mostly find it in the high protein um, foods, lentils, beans, uh, soy foods like soy milk, tofu, tempeh, and meat alternatives. Uh, those will be your biggest sources of protein and we should be uh, having those every day um, at at least two meals a day. And of course your individual requirements will depend on your activity level and um, your age. But, uh, you know, certainly all of us need to be choosing from those protein-rich groups. But even the nuts and seeds, the vegetables, uh, the starchy grains, they will all contain some protein. And protein will add up throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Another nutrient that's like that is calcium. I mean, we tend to think of it as being one that could be hard to get on a plant-based diet. But actually, it's quite well distributed across plant-based foods. I do encourage people to choose one glass of fortified plant-based milk a week here or a day sorry here in Canada <laughs> we are um, blessed with uh, fortification of most of our plant-based milks that includes 30% in one glass 30% of your required calcium for the day um, in just one glass and then it's much easier to get uh, the remaining balance through the rest of your food choices for the day when you've already started out with um, meeting 30% in just one glass. And that could come from, um, if you don't like drinking a glass of milk, it could come from perhaps uh, milk used to prepare porridge oats or in a smoothie, overnight oats. Yeah, I, I, we have, um oatmeal with soy milk almost every morning with my kids and I'm definitely checking the calcium box and the, there's a lot of B12 in there as well but we can hold off on that for now. That's right well let's jump into B12 because okay. that's one that's often used as um, kind of a justification why a plant-based diet is not um, actually mm -hmm. a natural diet a natural way to eat um, and that humans require animal products well I mean that is just um, really quite an unscientific approach because B12 is actually bacterially produced. It's not produced by mammals. So although you may get B12 from say eating a steak, um, that cow has stored B12 in their tissues rather than that being something that they produce themselves. Um, so either through consuming um, say grains uh, that had bacteria on them um, or perhaps uh, through consuming uh, a supplement themselves, because most farmers in Canada do supplement their cattle with B12. And so um, it's uh, a, definitely a red herring to throw in the idea that B12 means that a plant-based diet can't be natural. Uh, so we do need to, that is one place where I will say almost everyone following a plant-based diet uh, should be supplementing with B12. You can uh, proceed with being very diligent with your fortified products, intake of fortified products. Mm -hmm. So in Canada, the easiest ones would be um, fortified plant-based milks, which 
have half of your required B12 in one glass or uh, fortified nutritional yeast, which is also um, a good source. But the thing is that the B12 in those sources is not quite as stable. Um, you don't know quite exactly how much you're getting in the nutritional yeast, for example. Some of it may break down over time. Uh, I would suggest instead to rely on a supplement than you know exactly what you're getting um, and you're sure that you are meeting your B12 requirements. So that's one uh, supplement that I would universally suggest that vegans take. Mm -hmm. um, are there others that, that you recommend being mindful of that if you just look across a vegan population, there'll be, you know, there'll be some people that are, uh, that are lower um, than they should be? Yeah, so vitamin D is another one. It's not necessarily unique to vegans. I would recommend all Canadians and Americans who live in the northern U.S. take B12, especially through the winter period. Um, then iron is something that sometimes comes up for people on a plant-based diet, mm -hmm. although iron is not um, iron deficiency is not more common amongst vegans and vegetarians than it is among um, omnivores. However, uh, we do need to be aware of our iron intake. Iron deficiency is the most common deficiency um, in Canada. Uh, so it's good to be conscious. And here we want to look to greens and beans as good sources of iron. You can cook in an iron pot or use a lucky iron fish, uh, which is like a little fish-shaped uh, uh, iron uh, thing that you put into a pot when you're cooking. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and uh, it can leach iron into your cooking. Um, you can add some vitamin C to your meal to help you absorb that iron. Um, so a squeeze of lime, for example, on top of your lemon, uh, on top of your lentil tacos is a great idea. Um, and uh, most people won't require an iron supplement, but it's a good idea to have your um, B12, your iron, your vitamin D tested um, every few years just to keep an eye on how your levels are going. And if you are experiencing any symptoms of iron deficiency, fatigue, cold, um, then you may uh, want to speak to your doctor about that. Mm -hmm. That's what I was just going to ask you. Are there you know, for a lot of nutritional deficiencies, you might not have overt symptoms in the near term, it might take a long time. So how, how do, I guess, what do you recommend to people in terms of just uh, being on top of knowing your status and, and do you recommend um, tracking? I saw in some discussion about chronometer um, in terms of getting a sense of how might you get a sense of what the risks of the potential deficiencies you might have if you don't, if some of them don't have symptoms. Yes, yeah, so I think chronometer is a good idea. Um, the nutrients, you know, we talked about a few of them already, but some more to keep an eye on for vegans would be zinc and selenium. Um, zinc, again, found in like oats and nuts and seeds. Selenium, um, uh, their Brazil nuts is a very, are a very good source of selenium. So those would be a few um, to keep an eye on. However, if you are eating a varied plant-based diet, you will probably find that you have no problem meeting your requirements. The other thing to take into account though is 
even if you do track, and I don't really recommend that people track every day in chronometer, but you could check in a few times a year maybe, and then every few years get your doctor to do a blood test. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that intake is only half of the equation, and after that it's absorption. And so the health of your gut will have a big impact and also um, how deficient you are or how much of that nutrient you've already consumed. Um, you know, some nutrients, for example, calcium, you can only absorb um, a bit at a time. So it's good to intake your calcium over the course of a day rather than to try to maximize calcium at one meal. Uh, so it's quite complicated. You can't just assume that just because chronometer says you've met 100% of your requirement, that that means you have uptaked and absorbed all of that nutrient. Mm. So um, I would encourage people to somewhat trust uh, in their intake. You know, as an omnivore, did you constantly check your nutrients and make sure that you're getting everything that you need? If you didn't, then why are you doing it now on a plant-based diet when actually the evidence shows that a plant-based diet is just as robust or even maybe more so in terms of most key nutrients? So I think we can become a little too obsessed with nutrient tracking. Um, and, you know, if you do have concerns, absolutely speak with a dietitian, uh, speak with your doctor, um, get blood work done. Um, and uh, yes, do track in chronometer a, a few times a year and see, see if you can identify any um, missing uh, nutrients in your diet and then look for whole food sources first to fill those gaps. And then um, if you're still struggling, you could look to a supplement. I think that it, a lot of it is a mindset shift. I, I vividly remember this conversation with a girlfriend um, after we had a lengthy discussions about protein. And, um, you know, she was just under the impression, as many people are, that you need meat or you need, you need meat or dairy for certain reasons. And it's just so, it's so entrenched um, that you have a hard time, you know, letting go of that belief. And so she said, okay, you've convinced me that I don't need meat for protein, but don't I need it for something else? And I must need it for something. And I said, well, you know, meat is rich in iron, but, you know, a lot of people associate meat as an essential source of iron, for example. But so I think it's a mindset shift from when you think about protein and iron as examples of getting um, a nutrient in a bolus in a single small serving versus distributed throughout the day the way that it is with protein and, and so many of the other nutrients. Absolutely. Um, I think that's right. And it's, of course, much healthier for us to be getting our nutrients packaged in with lots of fiber and, um, you know, not packaged in with lots of saturated fats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I um, watched the Game Changers and I, I mostly like what they said. Some of it I think went a little bit too far, but I think the protein package concept is one of the things that they did really well, that at the actual, mm -hmm. at a molecular level, the difference between plants and animals, I don't know that people really appreciate. We are all made of the same fundamental building blocks, the same genetic code, the same amino acids, um, many of the same fats, um, not all the same, but many of the same basic ingredients. They're just combined in different ratios and packaged in different ways. Absolutely, that's, that's really right. We have much more in common than is different between plants and animals. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you're, you're making it sound very, very simple, but, but 
how do you how did how do we reconcile that this idea that it's it's hard you know it's almost hard not to uh, get it if you're following the simple paradigm of four food groups but how do we reconcile that with this very widespread belief that it's hard to do and you're probably going to end up deficient you know well I think we honestly need to come back to looking at um, the involvement of industry with our food guide in the past and also the involvement of industry and when I say industry I mean the animal agriculture industry with our food guide and also with um, education about nutrition in schools which is still going on to this day the dairy farmers of Canada dairy farmers of Ontario they're still active in the classroom there was just a bit of scandal recently about dairy farmers of Ontario sponsoring nutrition education materials for TV Ontario, um, a government-funded uh, television education uh, station in Ontario. So I think we have deeply held and ingrained um, right from childhood beliefs that um, we require these nutrients. Also, I think that there is um, a cognitive dissonance for people where they don't want to believe, like your friend that you said, well, I must need meat for something because she doesn't want to think that she's been eating meats all these years if she didn't have to. Uh, you know, she may think, well, you know, I don't really want to have to be cruel uh, in my diet. However, it's something that I have to do to survive and for my children. Um, and then if she comes to the realization that actually it's not required for survival and then it's only about something that she enjoys eating, and then is that really worth the cruelty embedded in the animal agriculture industry? People don't really want to accept that. So then they want to return to the notion of, oh, well, it must be nutritionally essential because otherwise then it's just on me to make this decision and I don't want to have to make this decision. I want to keep doing what I'm already doing. So I'm looking for a justification. Yeah, I think I think all of us can be very wedded to eating the way that we grew up, and it's this very emotional attachment to the way we eat. One of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation today is that I think it's really important to separate can you meet your nutritional needs, can plants do everything you need, versus are meat and dairy bad for you? Are they going to kill you? It's So to me, it's a separate question than do you need them versus... Right. Is it a pro or a con for your health to include them? You know Absolutely. I mean? So I think we have a lot of evidence to suggest that a high plant diet is the best yeah. uh, way to eat, whether that's 100% plants, 90% plants, 80% plants. Uh, I think we don't have the answers for that yet. Yeah. Um, so in terms of our health, I think it's probably disingenuous for health professionals, in my opinion, for health professionals to suggest that eating any amount of animal products is um, a high risk for your health. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's um, likely untrue. However, the standard Canadian diet or standard American diet that contains a lot of processed foods um, and a lot of meat and dairy um, and very low in fiber, uh, not um, eating very much fruits and vegetables, um, whole grains. This definitely is a diet that is at high uh, risk for disease. Um, and so 
you know, I think we do need to be cautious about um, the messaging that we are sending. I think in terms of nutrition, we are confident that a high plant, high fiber, low um, processed food, low added sugars, uh, is uh, low added salts, is a healthy way to eat. And beyond that, um, we are less confident really in what we prescribe at a population level anyway. I think there is sometimes an individual clinical justification for dietary modification, but mm -hmm. in terms of um, what we can recommend to the population, yes, eating a whole plant-based, uh, eating an entirely plant-based diet can be safe. Um, is it the only safe and healthy way to eat? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly where where I sit as well. Right. It's, it as is well. one wonderfully healthy way to go. Whether it's the only way to be healthy, uh, not not so clear. Yes. Um, but definitely the the fraction of your plate being plants being high is a good thing, and that's that's yes indisputable for the environment and also for um, your health mm -hmm. when. I mean, if you put an ethical framework into it for those who do uh, decide to look at that part of it, then I think most people then decide that for them it's no longer ethical and for them that's the thing that makes them to decide to be 100% uh, plant-based or to be vegan. Mm -hmm. So wrapping up on this topic, what would you say are some of the common um, sort of failures of what not to do, I guess, as you approach a plant-based diet that would jeopardize your ability to have a nutritionally sound um, diet? So I think looking to too many processed foods um, is going to potentially weaken the benefits of a plant-based diet in terms of your health. Um, so lots of, you know, vegan ice creams or vegan uh, brownies. I mean, these things are delicious. There's no doubt about th that. Um, even uh, the plant-based meats, these should be um, included less often than the more whole food sources of plant-based proteins like tofu, tempeh, um, edamame, uh, lentils, beans. So that's one issue is not choosing too many um, processed food options. Um, another thing that you can definitely do is not eating enough. That can happen. Um, Plant-based foods, when you're choosing whole foods, tend to be uh, lower in calorie density. And some people, when they start eating plant-based, just don't eat enough and end up um, under consuming, losing weight. Um, and uh, struggling with nutritional adequacy. So that can be um, another issue. Um, and definitely we run into issues of people consuming only certain food groups. So really emphasizing that uh, for food group um, mm -hmm. uh, intake and not choosing only fruits and vegetables or relying almost solely on starchy carbohydrate grains mm -hmm. and potatoes um, this is where you are going to really start running into problems if you start excluding um, too many groups of food. Mm -hmm. Just quickly on the plant-based meats, because that's something that I um, am passionate about, uh, sort of helping to, uh, I guess, provide a science-based perspective. Um, I'll tell you, my, my perspective on them is uh, that they're, 
there's no um, sort of overt toxicity, it's bad for you issue, but that they are lacking the same fiber, for example, that you would get from a lentil burger. Um, so that to me, it seems like their main shortfall is they, they lack the fiber. Um, and, but I, the thing I see happening a lot is, comp is maybe comparing them to beef and saying, well, they're, their beef must be healthier because it's more natural and less processed. So I, to me, that is an opportunity to really think about the word process more deeply. And, and, and I would tend to focus more on the nutritional value itself. And what you, when you see a plant-based burger, it has protein, it has iron, it has tons of fortification in, in, in some cases and not in others, but it doesn't have the fiber and probably some of these, um, uh, additional nu nutrients you might get uh, in an unprocessed food. Right, exactly. But I think the other issue is that not all, but many of them tend to also come with quite a bit of saturated fat and sodium compared right. to other plant-based mm -hmm. foods. Now, if you're eating overall a mostly whole foods, plant-based diet and consuming these products once in a while, then it's your overall diet that's important rather than one specific meal at one specific time. Mm -hmm. So I would say, don't worry about that. But if these are becoming a regular part of your diet, then being aware of the overall fat, the saturated mm -hmm. fat and the sodium content of the foods um, is something to be aware of. They are more, uh, some of them anyway, are more nutritionally similar to beef uh, in terms of their content of saturated fat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of variation. Yeah, amongst, lot of variation. My husband loves fake meat products, so I'm always, and my and my kids are sort of hit or miss. So I'm always looking at the package and looking at the sodium, and some yes. of them are some of them are insane, and others not, yes. you know, not so bad. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. And once again, keep coming back to that thing of, um, you know, the overall diet rather mm -hmm. than vilifying any one particular food. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, as we wrap up this topic, are there any other, um, any any last words in terms of like myths you may want to address or just resources to help people um, get started? Yes, well, I think Challenge 22 is a good um, option if you're thinking of trying out a plant-based diet. They have a lot of resources available to help people. Um, and I think, um, you know, the biggest myth is just that it's, so challenging or difficult to do. I think it's quite um, easy actually. Uh, just jump in if you're thinking of um, trying to be plant-based, um, maybe start with breakfast, then find maybe five or six different plant-based evening meals that you enjoy making. Um, if you look to some family favorite recipes, like maybe a shepherd's pie or a lasagna, try replacing half of the meat first with like lentils or a lentil mushroom walnut mix. Um, and animal product um, portion of the meal until it is down to uh, all plants. And, mm. um, you know, it doesn't have to be something you do overnight. And um, as we mentioned, for your health, it's something that you may uh, reach kind of 80% and decide, okay, that's far enough for me for now. And then it's something you may revisit again at another time. You could also try going plant-based for a month and just seeing how it goes, just seeing 
that's actually what I did when I first went plant-based. I was like, well, I'm going to try being completely plant-based for a month and see. And it was actually way easier than I thought it was going to be. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a little bit later. I initially did it really for environmental reasons. And it was a little bit later that I kind of realized the ethical implications as well and decided to stick with it. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Uh, I know you have a lot of experience helping people through this, so it's great to have your, sure. your perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.